We are now gonna get into our series, Beyond Blessed. So get your notebooks ready, get your pens ready, and prepare your hearts to your message from God this morning. About 15 years ago, there were a couple of teenagers and, and a young boy who attended our church whose father didn't. And they had come up to me and they said, um, uh, Pastor Nate, our father is very sick. They don't think that he's going to live much longer. Could you come to our house and could you pray for him? So absolutely, I definitely wanted to do that. And um, when I, I knew that my heart, when I got there, it was, I'm going to pray for a miracle. I'm just going to pray for this sickness to be healed, for this man to raise up from this bed. And that's always going to be how I am. For me, the prognosis always yields to the miraculous. And so matter, no matter how dire it is, no matter how bad they tell you it is, uh, you know, that's good. It's good information. It's information. And now God, when he steps into the picture, he can do whatever he needs to do. It's never been a prognosis that's been spoken before him that he's like, all right, sorry, there's nothing I can do. So this was where I was, and I, I'm praying in the couple of days leading up to this. I'm praying especially hard in the drive over there. These were, this was a family where, um, where the mom and kids were attending church, but the father wasn't. He had no desire to. He was not open to it. He didn't even want to talk about it. And honestly, I was pretty surprised that he was allowing me to come pray for him. I pulled into his driveway and I was met by, by the kids that I knew and they, they quickly um, communicated me like, don't pet the dog. And there's an enormous pit bull tied out there in the yard. I'm glad they told me or this hand would look a lot different. And um, made my way into this RV that was converted into a home and made my way into his bedroom and he he looked as bad as they described him to be. And he was in a condition. I mean, he was able to talk and communicate, but he, wasn't, but he wasn't doing good. He wasn't healthy. And he, you know, I kind of introduced myself to him. We hadn't met him before. I told him I was going to pray for him and just made sure that was okay because um, I didn't know what the kids communicated um, to him. And he... He had, um, he had emphysema, and as he sat in that bed, you know, he had oxygen uh, to his nose, and he, as he was breathing, he was wheezing, and it was a, a loud, wet breathing. Um, honestly, it sounded, if you think about when you've ever gone snorkeling in the lake or a pool, and, and that water's in the snorkel, that's what it sounded like as he was, as he was breathing. And as I kind of initially walked in there, uh, a little bit overwhelmed, um, sometimes as a pastor, you go into situations and people really aren't as bad as, 
as they were described, but this guy was every bit as bad. And as they were saying, he doesn't, they don't think he's going to live much longer. Um, I was, you were, were, I was fully aware of that. And you just thought that if he were to be healed right now, I mean, this is just about the equivalent of a man being raised from the dead because he, um, because he's so sick and he's so far gone. But I was still full of faith. I was still ready for God to touch his lungs, to dry out his lungs, for the oxygen to be restored, for him to give his life to Jesus. I was ready for that until. And something happened in the next moment where I thought, I can pray anything I want to pray right now. I don't think God's going to do anything about this. I don't think God's going to heal this guy no matter how many days of prayer and fasting I've done. And what was it? What do you think happened in that moment? Well, as I was there talking with him, just about ready to pray for him, this man who was about to die, is dying from emphysema. He's got his three kids there crying, his wife there crying. He's laying in that bed, hardly able to breathe, but using the remaining strength he had to inhale on his cigarette. And I felt at that moment that, I mean, I'm not sure his motivation I, I'm not even really sure if he even wanted me to pray for him. I, I just asked if it was permission. Like they, they asked me to come pray. Is that all right for you? Yeah, it's fine. But if he really was asking God to heal his lungs, it, uh, I was always, I just wondered like quickly in my head, like is his only motivation here is to make it easier for him to continue smoking? Is it, his only motivation here is that God would just do something for him, but he had no, didn't care about God at all. And and it kind of leads to like this big, kind of big theological question that's far too big to try to even unpack this morning. But you have these two questions. One, can God heal this man? Yes. The answer is yes. Absolutely yes. There's another question here that I feel, as, as I wrote it in my sermon, I'm like, I don't know if I'm on dangerous ground to even write this or even trying to suggest this. But should God heal this man? And I don't know, like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not gonna answer that question, but just kind of throw that question and make us think about it. And it's this part, like, we're asking God to do something in our life, but we're not doing anything in our life to change our actions that have led us to receive these consequences. If we're, and I just think that maybe if we're not going to change our actions, we shouldn't ask God to get rid of the consequences of our act, actions. Like, hey, God, I'm gonna live my life I'm gonna do everything I wanna do. When it goes bad and it blows up and I've got consequences for the way I've lived, I'd just like you to clean up all those consequences and let me keep doing everything I was doing and not have to change a thing. Should God answer prayers like that? And sometimes we get really angry at God because he didn't answer prayers like that. 
As we've got emphysema from smoking, and as we continue smoking, we say, God, heal my emphysema from smoking. But there's other instances in our life where we do this, and, and I want to talk about one of those this morning and in this series. It's, it's this, I, and I've had many people come and ask me for prayer over the years, many, many people. They ask me to pray for their finances, but some people, not everybody, but some people are just like that man. They are unwilling to change any of their money habits. They just want God to clean up their mess. God, I don't want to spend differently. I don't want to act differently. I don't want to live differently. I just want you to get these, these people to stop calling me. I just want you to give me an influx of money so I feel better in the moment. And let's kind of jump back to the same questions. Can God do a financial miracle for us? Yes, absolutely. God owns it all. God has unlimited resources. God has ability to do, to do a financial miracle in your life in a way you could never expect, anticipate, understand. He's able to do it. <laughs> Kind of jump back into the second question here. Should God do a financial miracle for us? If we are living recklessly financially and we put ourselves into a terrible, terrible situation, should God just take away all those consequences and just make everything better for us? That's a, that's a big question. Sometimes... God leaves consequences for us deliberately because he, he wants us to learn. He wants, and sometimes the, the benefit, the consequences has a benefit for us and he wants us to experience that benefit. The, the consequences, they can, they can, we have a choice when we face consequences. They can kind of do two things for us. They can either motivate us so if I, you know, if I go to Red Robin and eat unlimited fries and I do that for two meals a day for the next eight years, I go to the doctors and then he says, here's some consequences for you. Um, I understand now why you're only able to climb half a flight of stairs. And if you ever want to climb a full flight of stairs again, here's what you got to do. Well, consequences can either motivate me and say, I've got to change I don't want this pain anymore. These consequences have forced me to realize the negative result of my actions. And it can either motivate me to change or it can cause me to further deteriorate. To say, well, that is, it is how it is. <laughs> and just even dive further into it and say, there's no hope of things ever changing or ever getting better. So... Might as well keep smoking, might as well keep eating, might as well keep mistreating my wife, might as well keep doing a poor job at work, might as well get another credit card, go further to debt, might as well. And I think this morning, as we jump into this series, this is not a beat up series, this is a series you walk out of here like, you know, like, all right, here we go, something's going to change. And here's a here's here's a kind of a a preview, all right. Instead of asking God 
you, you know, take away these consequences. What we begin to ask God, and I think I could be jumping ahead here in my message, probably am. But when you begin to say, God, help me change. God is right there beside you. If that man were to begin to pray, God, help me to quit smoking. Help me to, be, you know, to begin to move and help. God is going to be right there helping him. When you begin to get, pray, God, I've, I've just I've blown up my life financially. Help me begin to change the finances for my family, for my future generations. God is right there. It's not about eliminating the consequences. It's about changing the behaviors that we've been living in. God is right there. This series that we're in is called Beyond Blessed. It's motivated by a book of the same title by Pastor Robert Morris, who pastors Gateway Church in Texas. Blessed is a word that we hear often, but I want to give you a Bible definition. Now, the Bible definition, there's about probably 15 different definitions, but Blessed in the context we're talking about this morning, in the context our culture talks about it, according to scripture, means this, to make happy, to make successful, to prosper in temporal concerns, temporary, as are blessed with peace and plenty. Beyond blessed, there is something beyond this for you. There are a few places in scripture that help us to understand God's heart for his people, for his followers, his heart to bless the people who are following him. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse number 18 says, the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. And um, this is in the end of a portion of scripture where he's telling him, he's telling the nation, of Israel, the nation of Israel, he's telling the Jewish people to do something that, it, that on paper looks like it's going to set them back financially. So what was happening in culture during this time is that if you owed money to someone, you would end up becoming their bond servant and you would be working for them to pay back that debt. And uh, so imagine now you've got to go to work for Chevy or for, um, or for Toyota or for Bugatti, and you've got to pay back this debt that, you've, that you can't pay back. So what God has put here in his, his, as an institute, because he doesn't want people being held captive like this forever, he says, they'll work for you for six years. That seventh year, you forgive the rest of their debt and you let them go. And it was like, God, this does not financially make any sense for me. They bought a Bugatti. You know how much work I need to get out of them to pay back that $3 million? They did not work that much over this last six years. This is gonna put me negative. This is gonna affect my wealth. This is gonna affect my family. And God, once he says, no, you're going, you're going to obey me here. Six years, and they're forgiven. You, they owe you nothing anymore at that point. You're going to let them move on with their life. And then he follows up that, like, you're going to make this hard financial decision. But the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So kind of jumping here that, um, you know, kind of jumping back, like, we have prayers for blessing without the obedience. 
Hey, God, bless me. I don't wanna change anything. I don't wanna do anything different. I don't wanna listen to your word or obey your word in my financial matters. That's personal to me, and I'm gonna do however I want with that, but bless me, God. And it just doesn't function that way. He, our prayers for blessing need to be followed by actions of obedience. I'm gonna do what God tells me to do. And as I do that and I begin to do that, I ask God to bless me in that obedience. I ask him to bless me according to his scriptures. I ask me to bless me according to his promises. Not because I'm selfish or greedy, but because in my obedience to him, there's promises he said to do. So the Israelite who sets the bondservant free after six years says, God, I've been obedient to you. Your scripture says you're gonna bless me in all that I do. I pray, God, now that I've been obedient to you, you've blessed me as you've promised. And what does God do for that prayer? He blesses that person who's been obedient to him and who's honored him. Jesus said this himself in Luke chapter 11, verse number 28. Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. When you obey God's word and you follow God's word, there is a beyond blessing for you. All right, so let's jump back into financial problems. And um, certainly we've all been there. I am not perfect. And there are some series that every time we are about to preach it, I, have, I am aware. When we go into a marriage series, I'll give my wife a heads up here about three weeks ahead of time. I'm like, hey, we're about to preach a marriage series. The devil's really going to try to use you to mess up my sermon on Sunday morning. <laughs> And um, Saturday night before I preach, the Sunday morning before I'm going to get up here and preach on stage, it's like, oh, Lord God, you be here in this. And I'm like, you know, we should have, someone should be in charge of buying flowers and writing my name on it. Every, oh, I guess I should be in charge of that. Um, <laughs> but so when we come into a financial series, it's kind of the same thing. Like, I, I want to make sure that I'm living what I'm practicing. And honestly, this has been a, uh, a tough month for us financially. But, but, the, but I'm standing here not based on circumstance today, but based on the word of God. I'm not trying to teach you based on my own experience, I'm trying to teach on the word of God, but certainly we've experienced this. God's hand of blessing has been on Michelle and I and on our family. And what we never thought possible when we were teenagers, what we never thought possible when we were first married, God has provided, and God has blessed. Now, if you have financial problems, does that mean you shouldn't pray about it? Absolutely not. And so don't begin to think that it's not right for you to pray. Always pray. Always pray. Sometimes we pray things we shouldn't. God's not angry at us. Sometimes we pray things that are selfish. God doesn't answer those prayers, but he doesn't get mad at those. All right? Sometimes we pray things that, um, that he'll never answer. But he's never annoyed by that. He's always glad that we're having conversation with him. It's like my, my, you know, it's like my, my kids coming up and saying, you know, Dad, can I have some of your coffee? Like, no, you know how you act right now? I'm not going to caffeinate you. <laughs> but I'm not mad at him for asking that. Well, 
but I'm not mad at them for asking that. I'm proud that they like black coffee. I'm like, good for you. What a man. It's weird that you have so much chest hair at seven years old, but what a man. When, when you begin to pray, what I hope is that your prayer today will change. Some of us, you're in a place of blessing. You've lived this. I need you to testify about this. Testimony Tuesday on, on our Facebook group, We Are Restoration, you need to stop being ashamed of how God has blessed you. And you need to say, I started tithing in 1968, and here's what God's done in my life. I started tithing three weeks ago, and here's what's done in our life. Last year, um, a, a couple in our church, they tithe that Sunday for the first time, and at circles on Wednesday night, they told the whole circle group, we got a call from the lawyer two days ago, we owe him nothing of the $15,000 bill we were expecting. He just said, oh no, I did it all pro bono. That was not the contract they had. Right after they tithe, God showed himself faithful to them. So always pray. But here I want to suggest now a, a little bit of a change in your prayer. And this, if, if financially you're good, but maritally you're not. Financially you're good, but health-wise you're not. Same, same type of prayer here. When you're in a circumstance that is a direct result of your decisions, actions, and behaviors, and they've led you into the consequences you now face or that you're living under, Instead of praying, God, take away these consequences. God, make everything all better for me. Pray this instead. And this is a prayer that you'll see God's hand move on your life. God, change me. Change me. We worry too much about the external. Way too much about the external. And we need to focus on the internal part of our heart. God, within me with inside of me, change that, change that. And that goes for every, that goes for the, uh, every problem. It goes for your marital problem. We pray, God, make my spouse not psychotic. God, make my, <laughs> make my husband buy me flowers before he preaches on marriage. God, you know, um, instead of praying for God to change, you, you begin to, God, our marriage isn't doing well. Change my heart. God, my relationship with my kids aren't going well. Change my heart. Change me. Change the condition of my heart that causes me to mismanage the money you've trusted me with. Everything we have, every, every dollar, every coin in the ashtray of your car, every, um, you, you, you know, every Bitcoin, everything. He's entrusted to you with it. It's his, he's lent it to you. God, pray that you change the condition of my heart that causes me to mismanage the money you've trusted me with. God, change the condition of my heart that causes me to medicate it with buying things I don't need and I can't afford. Not everybody does this, but we self-medicate with, with buying. I have a family member, and um, it was like seven, eight years ago, my wife says to me, oh, they're really happy. And I said, yeah, because they just got their tax return. She's like, huh? And I says, it's tax season. They probably, and I don't know this for sure, they probably just got their tax return. So they're on a $3,000 spending spree. That's why they're happy. And I said, just watch their Facebook posts over the next couple of weeks and you'll see. 
true. I mean, I was guessing it, but I knew as a, you know, as a family member, I knew what was going on. And because we're like, I've got this ache in my heart, but spending money, it makes me feel good. So, I mean, we, I think, I mean, I do this. Um, I, think, I think a lot of people do this. Like, oh, I feel, you know, when COVID happened and everybody's like, I feel depressed. I don't know what I'll do. I'll shop on Amazon shopping for the next 15 hours and buy, 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 buy. Like, I feel good now. And um, so God, change what's in my heart that causes me to do that. Because that's a heart condition. There's a sadness in the heart and we're trying to medicate it by spending money. And we certainly can medicate it by all kinds of other things. God, you don't say God eliminate all the alcohol from the world. God changes the taste of those communion packets. <laughs> we say, God, change my heart. That draws me toward that. We pray, God, change the condition of my heart that causes me not to trust you, not to trust you enough to tithe or to give to kingdom builders. So some people have been in church a long, long time, and they still struggle with trusting that God will take care of them if they give a tithe, if they give 10% of their income. We don't say, God, some people pray this, change my income by 10% so then I can afford to give. And again, but, but begin to, God, change my heart that I can't trust you with what I have right now. Change my heart that I don't have faith right now. Change, my, change the condition of my heart that causes me to keep going further and further into debt. What is that? That's a heart condition sometimes. Sometimes it's just, an, it's just ignorant. You just don't know how to manage money. You weren't taught any other way. Uh, but sometimes it's a heart thing. You're trying to look good in front of people you're trying to impress a girl. You're trying to impress a neighbor. You're trying to achieve some sort of status. What is that heart? Is it a greed? Is it a materialism? Is it a prestige? Is it power? But there's, you can show a heart deficiency, a heart problem. You pray, God, change that. The answer to financial stress is not more money. And this is surprising to a lot of people. Don't pray for God to give you, um, uh, you know, the, to win the lottery or to even get a pay raise. Pray for God to help you manage what you have right now. Think about um, that man with cigarettes. More cigarettes wasn't helping him. The answer to his emphysema wasn't more cigarettes. The answer to your financial problems is not more money. It will make the symptoms go away for a little bit. And as he smoked the cigarette, it made him feel better for a little bit. And here's kind of a big principle here that I want to put here on the screen. For that man, and sometimes for us, with our finances or our marriage, the pain of dying is less than the pain of changing. That one is, a, that's nasty, Pastor Nate. You should not have beat us up with that today. Think about that. How? How true is that, right? Just continue smoking cigarettes because dying was easier than changing. We continue spending our money like crazy because dying financially is easier than doing a monthly budget. We continue, <laughs> we continue eating out of control because dying is easier than eating salad. We continue, we continue destroying our marriage because 
Because divorce is easier than apologizing. I think that's such a sad statement. You don't have, that's not what God wants for you. You don't have to live that. And I want you to flip that. Say, I can't stay like this anymore and lose everything that I'm going to lose. So biblically here, what's happening? What are we doing wrong? Is there, because there's a sin that's associated with this. What are we doing wrong here? So um, biblically, there's a word called stewardship. And so the sin here is poor stewardship. Or another way to say it that we'd probably understand better is poor management. God has given us a section of his portfolio. So he owns everything. He's given us a portion of it to manage. And we are not managing it well. This is, this is the sin that we're experiencing and that, and that we're doing. What God's entrusted to you, he's entrusted to you. Now, here's kind of a big picture. If you've never read this verse before, Psalm chapter 24, verse number one. This is just big principle. God owes everything. Um, the kind of one of the key scriptures on this, not the only one, but the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. God owns everything. We own nothing. My house, it's God's. My cell phone, it's God's. My family, it's God's. My health, it's God's. This church, it's God's. Everything is his. And I take care of it, understanding that it's his. How I maintain my home, how I maintain my car, how I maintain my body, how I maintain my relationships with my kids. These are all of a reflection of me understanding these are God's things he's put in my hands. He's entrusted to me to take care of. Now, in Robert Morris's book, he talks about the, the roadmap for stewardship. Um, I, I, but I title this part of it, The Heart of Stewardship. What are the motivations of our heart that causes us to take care of well, to manage well the things that God has spoken? Now, I've added some background, some, some context scriptures for you on this. But let's roll through these pretty quick. First, if I have a heart of a steward, if I have a heart of... of, of managing what God's given me well. I put God first in everything because he loves me and redeemed me. This is my motivation. I don't give to get from God. I don't give to manipulate God to doing things for me. I give because God loves me and he's redeemed me. Redeems me means he's bought me. I was owned by sin, but by what he did on the cross, he bought me back. I was a slave to sin, but he bought me free. All right. So this is my motivation for giving. This is my motivation for stewarding well. This is my motivation for forgiving my wife, for, um, for, uh, for serving on a Sunday morning. This is my motivation in all things. Scripture for this, Jesus's words in Matthew chapter six, verse number 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God first above everything else. 
and he will provide for you. He will take care of your needs. He will be active in your life. Second thing, second heart motivation, I gratefully receive everything that God puts in my hand. So the things that God's entrusted to you, you gratefully receive them. You've got a kid who's a challenge, you gratefully receive that. You, you have a, a spouse who ends up in, with a major health condition and you're now their caretaker, you gratefully receive that. Psalm 9 verse 1 in the English Standard Version says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. We can be, um, you know, this is a big, it's a big problem. I, you know, I don't know if it was like this in the, in the 1920s. I don't know if it was like this in the 1600s. But certainly in our culture, what we can be tempted to do is to compare what, what's been placed in our hands to what's been placed in someone else's hands and then complain to God about it. So if you've got multiple kids or grandkids, or even if you've got a bunch of, a bunch of dogs, set out all their bowls, have them all stand in front of you with their hands, and give the first one 10 packets of Sour Patch Kids, the next one 10 packets of Sour Patch Kids, the next one 10 packets of Sour Patch Kids, the next one one single Sour Patch Kid, and watch how they react. <laughs> and then be convicted about how you've reacted to God. God, why do they have a nicer car than me? God, why do they have a better marriage than me? God, why do they have? Why do they have? Why do they have? Why do they have? God, why not me? <laughs> let's put the dying quote back up there. That one's less convicting, I think. <laughs> no, I gratefully receive. God, what do you trust me with? Thank you. Man, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've, that you've given me. We'll talk about this in a couple weeks, but the grateful get filled. Grateful people, God gives them more. Because if that last kid, when he sees everybody else getting 10 packages of, and then he gets one and he goes, Thank you. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? Like, I'm just kidding. Here. I just wanted to test your character. Here. But the one who says, I'm going to suffer. Like, sorry, dude. Like, learn your lesson. You, you know? And I don't think God, God's, God's not me. You, you know, but, but there's, a, there's a principle there. The grateful, the grateful heart God continues to pour out. Third thing here, heart thing, I steward faithfully what he has entrusted to me. I manage well what he has entrusted to me. First Timothy 4 verse 10, again, the English Standard Version says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So stewarding, it's not just financial. Obviously, I've mentioned your marriage and your family, but there are spiritual gifts within you. 
And how you use those, again, is another way that we, that we manage what he's given us. So if God, say God has given you a singing voice, just a singing voice that is like, like, you know, like the moolah's margarine. It is just so smooth. <laughs> I just think of back when I was a kid, like that butter, you know, butter is like, and you say smooth as butter, but you ever tried to spread cold butter, but margarine, it doesn't matter what temperature that is, those chemicals, man, they, so anyway, God's just, you, beautiful voice, and you're like, I just, I just don't, I want to get, I don't even want to do it if I get paid. And I'm like, well, maybe, but the church, yeah, well, I just only want to do it if I get paid. Well, I don't, that's not necessarily stewarding it well. Or what if you're even like, no, I won't sing. I'm too good to bless these mortal ears with my singing. <laughs> um, only if I'm singing in a, you know, in a, uh, uh, only if I'm singing on the same stage that Dolly Parton once sang at, will I ever sing? Like, and you just begin to, you're not stewarding it well. You're not allowing God to use it, whether you're a designer or a builder or a caretaker. You say, I do all these things unto the Lord. Last one here, I hold his blessings with an open hand, prepared to give or distribute them as he directs, never forgetting that they are his and that I am his. I'm his to utilize and do whatever he needs to. The, the things that he's entrusted me are his to move around however he needs to. So if he needs me to move $16,000 into kingdom builders, I'll move that. He needs me to sell a home and relocate to another part of the country, I'll do that. He needs me to give up this job for a different job, I'll do that. He needs me to, um, to go and, and ask for forgiveness for this person, I'll do that. He needs me to serve in the kid's wing, I'll do that. He needs me to buy a coffee for a coworker, I'll do that. Whatever he speaks, it's yours. What's the, what's the opposition, the opposite to an open hand? Clenched hand. The clenched hand says, God, don't take this from me. You can't have it, this is mine. We got the heart of a steward realizes these are not mine. These are not mine. They're all his things that he's put in my, in my uh, management. First Timothy 6, 6 and 7 says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Open hand is contentment, right? Whatever you need to take or move, no problem. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Let me, let me, um, let me close. Let me tell you a couple of things, all right, real quickly. The effects of godly stewardship. Well, the effects of poor stewardship you're fearful, you're anxious, you're short tempered, and you have misplaced priorities. Can you testify? Amen. <laughs> The effects of godly stewardship, of managing the things that God has given you wisely, deliberately, you end up full of faith. Think about our, our kingdom builders goals, our teenagers two weekends ago, um, themselves making a goal of $28,000 to give to kingdom builders by the, remain, by the end of the year, full of faith. 
they have not had a lot of opportunity to mismanage what God has given them because he hasn't given them very much as middle schoolers and as young high schoolers. And so because they haven't mismanaged much, they're full of faith to be able to do impossible things. Um, You end up peaceful. You ever put your head on your pillow and you've paid every bill and you've put God first? Anybody ever experienced that? Good. It's a good night's sleep. Long suffering. A true financial crisis is another opportunity for God to provide. We face them from time to time. And then priorities just seem to fall into line once we've put God first. Last thing here, and then we're going to uh, close in prayer. Three things that good stewards all do. This is from Robert Morris's book as well. Anybody who's a good steward, you'll recognize they do these three, three things. They spend wisely, all right? They're not overpaying. They're not just buying all bunch of stuff. They're, you know, they're spending wisely. That's different for every family. So don't compare your wisely with another family's wisely, but, but they're honoring God here. They save diligently, all right, if you've, the, um, by age 30, if you're on track for retirement, you should have saved something like $46,000. That's what your 401ks and your Roth IRAs should have be about that point. Some of us need to catch up, save diligently. And they give generously. Stewardship and God's stewardship is not holding on to everything. It's just building big. Is, is generosity. God, whether you're a middle schooler without a job or you're in retirement on a f- fixed income, whether you're low income, whether you're middle wage, whether you are a billionaire, why stewards give generously? Because it's not ours, it's God's. And when he asks us to redirect, if I call a financial advisor and I say, I'd like you to move some of this money from this mutual fund to this mutual fund, he tells me no. I'm like, get a new job. (laughs) You're fired. It's my money. I'm going to direct it how I ask you to. It's God's money. When he speaks to us to direct it how he wants, we're obedient to that. Listen, let me pray for you. I love these. I love. I love this series. I love this morning already, as uh, as God just exposes some things in our heart and begins to challenge us and begins to change our way of thinking. Jesus, forgive us for for having closed fists, for holding on tightly to what you've given us. We hold on to things long enough, and we gain possession of it. It's like a kid. It says. You know, this is my bedroom. Dad, get out. I'm like, this is not your bedroom. I pay for it. I bought everything in here. I own you too. You're like, you, everything here, I'm lending it to you. God, that is our life. Everything, you've lent it to us. May we not get possessive or defensive, but may we be ever grateful for the things you've trusted us with. God, we, we just thank you. For everything you've done, we thank you for every job, every paycheck, every source of income, every apartment, every home, every tent. We thank you for every 
brand new car, high mileage car, car in the shop right now. We thank you for every spouse, the ones who love us back, the ones who are selfish, the ones who know you, the ones who don't know you. We praise you for every kid, the ones who get good grades and are compliant, the ones who get good grades and are defiant, the ones who have health needs and physical needs, the ones who are healthy and star athletes, with the ones who um, who get honor rolls and the ones who, who um, have IEPs. We thank you for them. We thank you for everything that you've put in our heart and our life, everything that you've given us. I just pray, God, we would manage it well. And in this series, as we begin to learn some of those things, just pray you teach it. But God, we pray that first prayer that we pray today, change me, change my heart. I don't wanna do put on a bunch of relig- religious actions on my life and never have you change my heart. God, I wanna change, change me from the inside first and may that now begin to transform all the outside and exterior things in my life. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, why don't you stand, why don't you, uh, stand to your feet? I'm going to, um, I'm gonna dismiss you here and then the band's gonna sing while we leave. So singers, you can get to your spots. Let me tell you this, all right? Um, you're not a failure. You're not. What I said at the beginning is if you say, hey God, I recognize that right now, I've made a ton of mistakes. You pray, God, change me. And then you begin to be obedient to the things that he's put before you. When you, as soon as you step into, whether it's that first tithe check, whether it's that first uh, bill that you've been neglecting that you paid for it, trying to pay off debt or, or trying to, um, maybe you've just been slacking off at work and you've missed bonuses and promotions, but you say, no God, I wanna put you first. When you now begin to take those steps of changing, he then is gonna begin to backfill that and bless that and give favor with that. So be encouraged with that. You are not alone. He's not leaving you alone. You pray, God, take away all my consequences. You're kind of alone in that. You pray, God, help me now as I become obedient to you. He comes and, and he walks with you and brings you further than you could ever get on your own. Listen, church, I love you and uh, have a great day. And I'll see many of you at the Invest Conference tomorrow. The rest of you will see you next week.